Welcome to Hiraith, a home for the left in Wales. Welcome to the Hiraith podcast. Uh, we are joined today uh, by four Conservatives looking at the fate of the Welsh Conservatives in next year's Senate elections. Uh, we are joined by Emma Wilde, uh, a community councillor uh, in Powys. Hello, Emma. Hello, thanks for really inviting me. Uh, we're also joined by James Evans, who is a, a county councillor and member of the cabinet in Powys Council. Good evening. Good evening, James. Uh, we are joined also by uh, Amanda Jenner, who is an, a, another councillor from Powys. We are Powys heavy this evening. Hi there, Matthew. Thanks for having me on here. Pleasure. Uh, and we're also joined by David Melding, MS, a member of the Senate for South Wales Central. Hello there, David. Hi, from uh, a rather urban part of Wales. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got to have a nice balance. Indeed. So I wanted to start, um, everybody, by talking about December. They're talking about the general election, which you know was a fantastic result for uh, the Welsh Conservatives. Do you think it's a high watermark? I think it's something that could be replicated in future elections. Without question, uh, there was one word that dominated that election, uh, and that was Brexit. I think that certainly... In my neck of the woods, um, I went to the Count for Wrexham and Fluid South, uh, where both Simon Baines and Sarah Atherton, who were both you know, very good friends of mine, won. That was certainly a, a, a one-off and a first-time win in, in both of those constituencies, and I think would probably have been unexpected in other circumstances. That said, I think at the moment, that word Brexit seems to have disappeared. I think we've had big wins that we had in December, and if those wins are going to be replicated, we've got to build on that, really. So, Amanda, you were um, the Conservative candidate in December in Ceredigion, one of yeah. the few remain voting parts of Wales. Was I imagine Brexit was mm -hmm. a, a big issue for you uh, on the door in Ceredigion. Do you, do you think you benefited, because obviously the Conservatives finished second there in December, do you think you benefited from uh, a Brexit vote in Ceredigion? I think partly, um, I mean, although Ceredigion voted Remain, it was still, you know, not hugely so. It was something like the opposite, like 52, 48. So there was still um, a big number of the electorate there that really wanted to see Brexit happen. But also alongside me, we had a Brexit party candidate as well. So a lot of that vote went to him. I think in places like Ceredigion and um, also in Vunva Merionov and Carmarthen, uh, parts of Carmarthen, they've not seen previously conservative candidates that have got a real affiliation to an area. Um, and I do think we can build on, um, on the result and should be optimistic about the future. For example, in Ceredigion, people who are saying to me on the doorstep, they didn't vote conservative previously because they... Well, although they were conservative-minded, they just saw it as a wasted vote. And I think if you get the, the candidates that care about the areas and not paper candidates, then it certainly can be something that we build, up, build upon. And also, if you look at the most recent poll, which I know isn't amazing for us, but it still is positive and shows us gaining the likes of Alan and Deeside, which uh, was pretty close to call in, you know, running up to it. And it, it could go either way if we were to have a, um, another election. Well, I, I don't think you get one-offs in politics. If it's happened once, it can happen again. And uh, I mean, the fairly recent past, that level of the popular vote was achieved by Mrs. Thatcher and uh, um, Harold Macmillan. So rather different personalities to uh, Boris Johnson. So we, we've, we've certainly had a high point in the past of a roughly a third of the electorate. Generally speaking, in most elections, a good year has been about a quarter. So 
we obviously need to go beyond a third and certainly leave the days when we would only, you know, in, in, in most years get a quarter of the electorate. So I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, of hope for us for the future, as long as our, you know, our ambition continues to expand, because I think we've been trapped in a sort of loser's culture previously, and that's been quite damaging to us as a party. And the one thing I did see, I'm not a Brexiteer, and, you know, I, I don't think a there's a permanent platform there myself for the party in the future. Uh, if Brexit works, it will disappear as an issue. But, you know, I do think that, that there was a shift last time where people that had not previously thought about voting conservative then said they would think about it. And someone who's looked at the data when I was policy director for 12 years uh, in the early years of devolution, the stat that used to depress me most when we did our own internal polling uh, which we kept secret, of course, was those that said they were determined never to vote Conservative. And that was always double uh, the next party, which I think was Plaid, I can't remember. But, you know, the number of anti-votes, if you, if you could turn that, was formidably high. And what we're now seeing is that's been eroded and many more people, even if they're not prepared this time to vote Conservative, entertain the possibility of doing so. And that's a big shift for us culturally. I do think it's very true. We did have a very clear message around getting Brexit done. But I think it was widened that on things like the NHS and the economy and education. And I think the general public did feel that Boris Johnson was the best person to lead this country through that period. And I do think that's shown at the election. I see in Brecon and Radnor, we've seen a massive increase of the Montgomery. We won in places like Regen, we've never almost won before. And I think it just, it just showed the public mood did believe that the Conservatives led by Boris Johnson was the best person to take us to take the government forward. How do you think the Welsh Conservatives keep together that electoral coalition of the your, the seats you've won in the past tending to be more rural areas, but now you're sort of having to balance this coalition between the ex-industrial Labour voters and the more rural base that you've had previously? I think it's it's partly a case of showing voters that having made that decision to vote Conservative in December, um, that the party is going to deliver on, on what it promised. I think we've also got to have the right candidates. Um, you know, I think I, I went out canvassing a fair amount in Wrexham um, for Sarah Atherton in December, and it's probably not a very popular thing to say, and, and it, it, but Sarah is not what you would look at and, and term a natural Tory. You know, she, she's been a social worker, she was a nurse, she was in the armed forces, she was in the intelligence corps, um, you know, she's, she's been a single parent. She, she, is, she is somebody who I think people feel is more like them, if you like. Um, and I think that resonated with people on the doorstep. Um, I know it did with the people that I spoke to. Um, and I think we need to do much more of that. David, obviously you represent uh, South Wales Central and one of the seats in that is, is Cardiff North, a former battleground seat between Labour and the Conservatives that the Conservatives have held. Do you think that the Brexit forward strategy has hurt you in seats like Cardiff North and in England there are equivalent sort of city seats? Do you think it's going to be difficult to win those sort of seats back? Only if Brexit remains a very salient issue. I mean, it, it really did hammer us in Cardiff North. I represent a region that voted for uh, Remain. Um, in fact, Cardiff voted Remain more heavily than London did, which uh, you know, is something quite sobering, I think, if you're a Conservative 
I'm so ancient. I remember Cardiff as the swing city. You know, I, I, I lived for many years in Cateys, and when I moved there, we still had one of the three seats on the city council from Cateys, you know. It, and Ian Grist represented the, the cent, you know, central Cardiff uh, for, for many years. Anyway, that there's no way we can win a general election at the Welsh level if we're predominantly a rural party. We, we have to win in urban areas as well. So uh, that's a very important part of our future success as we sort of plan for it and the strategies we build. Um, and uh, I, you know, I think part of the way back for us in, in winning uh, you know, th that suburban vote again is, is getting the housing issue right. I think there's a huge issue about uh, providing uh, affordable, good quality family housing for the under 40. So that's one area I'm particularly interested in. But uh, um, as Emma said, we, we do need to develop policies that are attractive. At the end of the day, we're talking about you know, choices for future government. And if you don't have an interesting platform of policies, you're, you know, you're not going to win. I think we need to massively look at the economy. I think that's very, very important. We've seen the economy slip in Wales year after year after year. And I think it's having vibrant, a vibrant economy here in Wales, and it's been exciting around that as well, whether that's around business rates, whether we need to look at that and have a rehaul look at that. It's around the growth deals that are coming off across Wales. You know, I'm quite heavily involved in my economic development hack as a mid-Wales growth deal. We got the Cardiff, the Swansea Bay deal. We got a lot of deals right across Wales. And it's driving those forward as well and making sure they're delivered. And I think that's very important going forward. And I'm sure Amanda, you know, has got probably a lot of ideas on policy as well around education. You know, we need to make sure we're improving our education here in Wales. And the health service, you know, it's, it's massive. We're seeing the health service go in decline and we need to make sure we reverse that as soon as possible. Our local government and here, which uh, and a couple of our panelists are very keen on here, is making sure we've got adequate funding to fund those core services of education, highways, the, the actual things that people really do care about. You know, a lot of people only care what's tend to be from 10 metres from their front door, and a lot of research shows you that. And it's making sure we can get those little things right to make sure we can build the economy from there. Absolutely. Education for me, you know, obviously as a, as a teacher, um, is something that I feel, you know, really passionate about. But I think actually what we've seen during this, um, during this COVID period is, is people in Wales are becoming a lot more engaged and a lot more aware of what is and what isn't devolved because they're, you know, they're tuning in and listening to the First Minister and, and Kirsty Williams on the update. So their the, the awareness that education is a Welsh uh, Parliament issue um, is, is, is growing and they didn't perhaps realise that previously. Um, so I, I think we can really build on that when we, when we come to look at our manifesto. Personally, for me, um, I think the new curriculum that is going to be coming into force is so far down the line we can't, you know, suddenly massively halt it and say we're not going to go down that route anymore because so much has been invested in it. But I do think we need to take time to ensure that the, the, the time frame from implementing that, especially with the now the pressures on teachers with COVID, um, isn't just rushed through and perhaps it's time to stall it to make sure that we get it right and, and at the moment that curriculum has, has, a, has a skeleton and, and it is quite woolly and there's a lot of conservative um, values that, and you know values for res bringing responsible children and giving them the skills to uh, be responsible adults and resilient adults that we could get into that curriculum and I would like our policy to start looking at that.
you know, for example, things like um, ensuring that children have the skills to budget, um, to, to plan their, to plan a weekly uh, food shop and that they know what their monthly, um, how a monthly uh, bill would look so that they've got those skills. And I think um, if, we, if we can get those kind of things into our policy thinking, that that will really hit home with the voters because they want their children to have those skills too. You know, you mentioned the, the people becoming more familiar with devolution. Obviously, David, the Welsh Conservatives in your time in the Senate have gone on a bit of a journey with regards to their, uh, their views on devolution. You know, starting the, the Assembly is relatively anti-devolution now, you know, moving to a stage where they were sort of happy to work with it. How did that happen? How did that process occur whereby the, set, the Welsh Conservatives started to embrace devolution? Well, I, I think we just realised that uh, a huge decision had been made. And whilst it was you know, very tight in Wales, the referendum. It was a big shift from the previous referendum in uh, 1979. So we looked at that and we read that as the move of the times, really, rather than the fact that it was uh, a bit of a knife edge result. But of course, Scotland had voted overwhelmingly for devolution. So I think, so. I mean, I opposed devolution, incidentally. I played a part in the No campaign. You know, I'm you know, one of the big converts. But my assessment early on, when uh, I, you know the group first formed in 1999 in, in, in the Assembly, was that unionism could only now be coherent if it accepted the principle of devolution, because uh, it had occurred and been endorsed massively in Scotland. It was about to get going in Northern Ireland. And so in that framework, it was better that Wales was part of the picture than not being so because it, it added strength to devolution for the United, in the United Kingdom as a whole and, and made it appear less exceptional. And I'd put the London Assembly in the same category, incidentally. So we were keen to, to make devolution appear as, as rather normal. And a, a choice had been made, let's just get on with it. We will now conduct our political life through this constitutional mechanism. And it was pointless revisiting that you know big constitutional questions should only be dealt with at the most each generation every 25 years or so and picking things after two minutes would have been a disastrous scenario so i think that was the big shift but you have to remember that there's always been a genuine thread of anti-devolution uh, or anti-home rule as it used to be in the party and so we we have to be tolerant of that to some extent while still firmly giving the party a general direction that look Devolution was the way politics was going to be conducted now, and it would be, you know, damaging to our own cause if we didn't make the move. I think it's a very, I think it's a very mixed, mixed set of views from a mixed set of people who make up the membership. Um, you know, that, that there's a real, certainly at the moment, there's a real tendency to kind of like take everybody and put them all in one box. Um, and, and certainly from what I've seen on social media over the last few weeks, you know, there is a real tendency to do that, not just with Tories, but with, with other members of other parties as well. And, you know, I think that's hugely unfair. I mean, from, from my own personal perspective, I was against devolution in, in 1997. It was one of the first th elections that I voted in uh, and I voted no. Um, and, and I've got to be honest, and until relatively recently, that was kind of my view. I think what, what really changed was when I started to educate myself. Um, and I'd sort of blamed devolution for all the ills that I saw in Wales. Um, you know, certainly from a mid-Wales perspective, you know, my view has been there's been a, a serious lack of investment over the 21 years of devolution. Uh, you know, it's been very Cardiff or, or South 
city-centred centric. Uh, and I was really hacked off about that. Um, and I blame the assembly for, for a long time. And now I've come to realise that actually it's not the fault of the assembly, it's the fault of the Welsh government. You know, and, and actually what you need to do is accept that we have devolution and you need to look at the benefits of devolution and you need to make devolution work for the whole of Wales. And that's where I feel it hasn't happened to date. And that's the platform that I feel that we as a party need to look at and we need to really get a grip of. And we need to show that we can deliver on devolution for the whole of Wales. I think there are large numbers in the party that probably would abolish the assembly. There are probably people in the party who would also vote for independence. You know, it's, I think it really is a mixed bag. My own view is that as a party, we need to embrace the fact that there is devolution in Wales and we need to work to make that work for everybody. That's, that's my view and that, that I feel is the, is the best way to secure a victory really in the assembly elections going forward. Uh, I think it's the only way that we're gonna do it is to show that we seriously want to work with it and make it work better. You know, there's a weird feeling on, I don't know if it's just our little weird Welsh politics bubble, but there's a, there, is a, there is a feeling there's a growing um, dislike of the Senate or of devolution in general amongst Conservative memberships. But from what I've heard, that doesn't seem to be the case. I'd say that as someone who's grown up with devolution, I, I've really known anything else. You know, devolution has been part of my life. But I think the problem is, just like Emma said, we've had a, almost a single party state here since it has come into existence, the Welsh, the Welsh Assembly or the Senate as it is now. And I think it is time for change. And I think if you're going to reinvigorate the Senate, you need to start a new party with new ideas, new ways of thinking to get people engaged. There are ways, different ways of looking around housing, which David has touched on, on education, as Amanda has touched on, around de developing the economy, underinvestment. You only have to look at the EU structural funds map, you know, and I, I sit in a number of meetings where that's discussed now and, and the Welsh Government are quite content to let that continue as is, you know, investment into South Wales and other parts of Wales that get neglected, you know, parts of I represent here in Mid Wales have got no EU structural funds money and I think within the rural element we don't see the benefit of devolution. As if you only look just down the road, I know if you look at Brecon, for example, that had a bypass when there was, you know, the Welsh office here, or the Secretary of State for Wales with a lot more power than what they do now. And I think people locally to where I live don't see any benefit of the Senate, but I think we need to change that, especially on parts like with agriculture, that is a devolved matter. We need to see more vibrant policies coming out of there which actually support our rural communities and not tend to hinder them. And I think if we had a change of government, I think you would actually see a more of a groundwell of support for devolution because devolution needs to go past Cardiff as well. I do find that a little bit, you know, with my cabinet member role, it's very good that the Welsh Government talk a lot about devolution and getting more powers from Westminster, but they don't seem to go any further than Cardiff. And I think if you want to talk about real devolution, it's devolving powers down to councils, to community councils, to make sure that decisions that can be made for people on a day-to-day -day basis are actually held by those people who they're left on a local level. So, Amanda, you, you mentioned before we started recording that your council ward borders very closely to the Shrewsbury constituency. And obviously the MP for Shrewsbury, Daniel Kaczynski, made some quite strong statements with regards to his view on the future of devolution in Wales. You know, what was the response within the party hierarchy to those sort of statements, both the members and the sort of elected officials? 
From, from what I've seen within the hierarchy, I think the MP from Montgomeryshire, Craig Williams, has been very clear that, uh, you know, now is not the right time for those discussions, first and foremost. But also, there was a referendum and um, there, there was, there's been a number of referendums and, and we accepted it. The problem is, is that we've had the same government um, in Cardiff for, for over 20 years and, and, and it, we, as Conservatives, we need to be talking about that. And I do um, agree with what some of my panellists have said, uh, just touching on what James has said about rural areas. And uh, what I see within the party is the membership that's more in favour of abolish do tend to be those who are in the rural areas. And I think it's really important that we highlight that what we would do um, different if we were if we were to get in next year. And one of the things I feel quite strongly about is that Welsh Labour don't understand the cost of delivering services in rural areas and that has a huge impact on the funding that goes to the local authorities because they don't for example realize that it costs more to get our children to school because it takes longer to get them to get there it costs more to deliver social services because it takes more time for our social workers to get to clients and that is arguably not fairly recognised in the formula. So one thing we've said we would do is, um, you know, have an independent review of, of the funding that's, um, and how it's given. And, and I think that's really important that we explain to, um, explain to people that that's what we would do. Just touching on something else that James said about, you know, I, I, I didn't vote in, um, in 97 because I wasn't old enough, but I, I, one of the reasons why I'm a Conservative is because I believe in making decisions as local as possible. And um, one of the problems with, with Cardiff at the moment is it's quite centralised. And I think we can do more to empower our, our local authorities. We can look at things like the fact that Cardiff, uh, that Welsh uh, Parliament are making decisions on huge planning applications down in, in Cardiff when they're applications that are based up in Powys. Now that doesn't happen across the UK. So we can look at whether or not you know, that's appropriate to be a Welsh Parliament decision. Personally, I think it should be a local authority decision. And there's more things like that that we can do to show those who are sceptical of the, of, uh, of the Welsh Parliament that actually their, their scepticism is, you know, is understandable, but it's, it's misjudged, in my view. What we've done in the previous episodes of this, of this podcast is look towards the, the concept of, of leadership. So moving our attention to Paul Davis, Paul is not particularly widely known uh, within Wales if you look at the, the, the polling. Do you think he will be the figurehead of the campaign next year or do you think Boris will, uh, will be the, the face of the, Conservative, the Welsh Conservative campaign next year, Emma? I think the leader of the Welsh Conservatives should be the focus of the campaign. There is inevitably a link between what happens at national level, and when I say national level, I mean UK level, and... and that that then impacts upon voting. I think you've seen that with Brexit in the December general election. Um, I think what, what is happening within the UK as a whole come next May is likely to impact on voting because I just think it does. And so I think, you know, what, what Boris is doing or whoever it may be, but assuming it's Boris, you know, th there is going to be a focus amongst some people about that. I think Paul should be the focus. I think we have difficulties in Wales as a result of the lack of uh, media coverage that's, that's geared solely to Wales. 
Um, I think one thing that's come out of the COVID scenario is that, that I, I think actually the COVID scenario has done more to publicize devolution and what's devolved and what's not devolved than probably anything else um, for the whole of the period of devolution. Um, you know, as Amanda said, people are watching Mark Drakeford. Uh, pe people are understanding now that, you know, Wales has one regime for this and, and England has another. Uh, what I'd like to see in the lead up to May is um, that same media continuing that coverage on a Wales level. Um, and I think that would increase not just Paul's profile, but, but the profile of all Welsh party leaders, um, which I think can only be good for, for, for Wales as a whole in the lead up to the elections. And, and I think the Welsh Conservative as a, Conservatives as a party, we need policies for Wales. Uh, we need to show the people of Wales that the policies we put in our manifesto are policies that will deliver for them. Um, and we need to try to, I won't say educate people because that sounds patronising, but we need to get that message across to the people who are going to vote that they are voting for conservative policies in Wales, not at a UK level. And I, and I think that's been historically really difficult, um, partly due to the media, you know, but, but hopefully Paul will be the focus and, and, you know, the policies will speak for themselves. I think you've got to look at the time of the elections. Well, there's going to be a Scottish Parliament elections at the same time. We're going to have Welsh Parliament elections at the same time. So I do believe Boris is going to feature quite heavily in the campaign, as long as long along with Paul Davis and the leader of the Scottish Conservatives as well. This is going to be, a, I think, a campaign for the union as well. I think that's how... Boris is going to see this and how conservative values and conservative policies can benefit the whole of the United Kingdom. And I think Paul will be a focus of the elections here in Wales. He is the leader of the, of this, of the group in the, in the Senate. And I think he has got some great ideas. I think Paul has come on massively lately as a leader of our party. I think he's getting more and more recognisable. I think this crisis has shown he is holding the First Minister to account and others. He's holding Welsh Labour and the Welsh Liberal Democrats to account. And I think that's what people want to see going forward. And I think it will be a joined up approach between Boris and Paul Davis as this election will probably go wider and be one for the union as such, but I do believe we need to focus mostly on Wales and good policies, which are really going to benefit the residents I represent and also the residents of the whole of Wales. David, how do you think Paul's done since he was elected leader? And how does he compare to the sort of other Welsh Conservative leaders you've worked for? Well, he's a bit more like uh, Nick Bourne than uh, Andrew Davis, I would say, uh, in, in his style. It's a bit more... Uh, collegiate and uh, not quite as, uh, um, uh, you know, taking it to the, the enemy, as it were, which uh, I, I think Andrew sometimes uh, uh, rather enjoyed the uh, political battle side of, uh, of politics. I think he's more interested in policy and developing a platform and um, in that sense echoes uh, Nick. But, you know, a lot of these considerations are deeply structural and you shouldn't worry too much about things you can't change easily and uh, when we look at you know leader uh, recognition uh, you've got Clyde Camry led by um, Adam Price and there's no one above him as such is there you know because they do not have a UK dimension obviously that's a great strength in terms of uh, 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 you know identification by by the public Similarly, Mark Brakeford uh, as First Minister, especially during this uh, crisis, 
I think his uh, recognition factor has gone up because he holds that office. Whereas whoever's leading the Welsh Conservative Party, especially if we're in government in Westminster, you know, as this colossal figure, whoever is the Prime Minister, they're in the firmament. So my own view is that they can't lead the Welsh campaign, incidentally. You, you know, the campaign will go on for four weeks, so it, it has to be your leader um, in Wales. But I, I, uh, on the other hand, I think it's foolish not to use an asset that is there that's going to be referred to by the electorate and by the press anyway, who may as well accept that fact and, and enhance it as best you can. So, um, you know, there are all sorts of people out there that have been fantastic uh, holders of senior office. I think of Clement Attlee, you know, when he replaced Churchill, lots of people said, well, what on earth are the public doing? You know, it's, uh, uh, it, it's a rather quiet, reserved style. And if, if, if Paul were to ask me, you know, what sort of hero to model himself on, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd perhaps be a bit naughty and suggest a Labour hero and go for Clem Attlee. That's, I wasn't expecting that uh, from this, from this issue. Well, that's what very podcast should be about. Left field thinking, I think, is the uh, to do something uh, uh, equally inappropriate. <laughs> Amanda, you know, wh- why do you think Paul Davis played such a subdued role in in the 2019 campaign? Then, if you if you think he's going to lead on the next one, is it just because it was a general election, or is it other reasons? Because in 2017, there was a bit of confusion as to who the most senior Conservative in, in Wales was. You had R.T. Davis doing some debates. You had Alan Cairns, who was then Secretary of State for Wales, doing others. What, what do you think that was? And what do you think will happen now? He used the word subdued um, for his role in the election because he was very hands-on and he travelled the whole of Wales. Out, He was out on the doorstep with me. He was out campaigning um, pretty much across the whole of Wales. Um, but, you know, going back to the beginning of this podcast, it was largely a Brexit election. And that was the narrative and that is what people wanted to hear. Um, and so, you know, that is why talking about Boris was um, he was much more prominent in in the media and, and on the platforms and um, in the TV debates um, you know I think David Davis uh, appeared quite a lot and 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 that was the right person for that election just going back to your question on um, on leadership and and who would be uh, the face of um, of next year's campaign I, I would also like to see um, I echo what the others say, but I'd also like to see Simon Hart from the Wales office as Minister for Wales, part of part of that team under, you know, with Paul's face um, leading it. Because I think it's really important that we show um, the whole of our membership and, and those floating voters how we can work together as a unionist party and I think the Wales office is key with that so I think it is a real team approach and and I'm a big fan of Paul I think he's a great speaker and I and I think if he's given the right platform his profile will start to will start to build. Does anyone think that if the Conservatives don't win next year or don't make a significant step forward from the position you're in now that it would be considered a failure? I think it's all in the circumstance of the time. You know, I think as long as we can go out there and talk to members of the public with, as I've said, strong policies around the key areas of the election, which are going to be around housing, economy, the NHS, you know, schools, education, 
I think we will do very well. You know, the Conservatives are fighting for every single seat in that election. We'll fight for every single vote. We'll talk to as many people, right, left and breadth across Wales as we can, to explain to them just what a Conservative government in the Senate can do for them. I do, I, and that's what I see it as, as the current state of play. I think we've seen in recent polls, yes, we've slipped backwards, but polls change all the time. We've seen a poll not so long ago where we were going to be the biggest party in the Senate, the first time that's ever happened. And I think that just shows that we have got very good strength now and a good base coming in Wales to really build our activists out on the ground and start convincing people and start talking to people and tell them this is what the Welsh Conservatives can do for you and this is what a Welsh Conservative government in the, in the Senate will do. In the polling data that's come out in Wales most recently, it does seem that the Welsh government approach to COVID-19 has been favoured to the UK government approach, you know, even amongst conservative voters, younger voters, older voters, leave voters, remain voters. David, do you think that the conservatives have misjudged the mood or misread the mood over, over COVID-19? I'm not sure there'd be, uh, you know, there are massive differences myself. Uh, I, I, you know, we've had a four nation approach basically. And I think some of the Labour Party and, and I would say some of my colleagues also, um, want to play up the differences between what's happening in uh, Westminster and Whitehall and what's happening um, in the Senate. And um, I, I, I don't think there have been huge differences. And I, I, myself, I, that's the emphasis I would have put on it, because we want to see uh, the United Kingdom as a union uh, really uh, uh, show its mettle in this national crisis. The fact that we have furloughing and massive economic programmes is a reminder, surely, of the benefits of being, you know, in this great union. And that's the message I want to get across. And in fairness, uh, Mark Drakeford, I mean, he is a very sincere unionist. And he has um, been very subtle, I think, in uh, uh, his approach. He, you know, he didn't uh, rubbish the uh, stay alert message, even though he said we were going to continue in Wales with the stay at home message. But he said it was important also to stay alert. He's been very skillful in trying to play down the differences. And myself, I think um, our approach uh, at times could have been more targeted. Uh, but in general, we have been fairly balanced. But I think, I think opposition is always much more effective when you say, look, some things are working here, but these things aren't. And this is where we should really concentrate our attention. And, there, you know, there are definite issues there uh, that uh, I think have played well for us because we've been fairly targeted. Sometimes we do get drawn into, you know, opposition being principally about saying the government is always wrong, which is never a strong line in my view, because governments very rarely, even ones who don't support at all, uh, get everything wrong. Do you think the union will be a big campaigning issue in Wales? Because obviously it will be in Scotland for the Conservatives. Do you think the same focus will be had here? Well, I mean, and, and I think just following on from what David said about, about the benefits of the union, I mean, there's, there's a lot of talk at the moment around um, the independence movement in Wales and um, the, the people who are indie curious, and, and, that, and that's a massive thing. And, you know, I, th I think on the back of, of this crisis, I can kind of see why that maybe is gaining momentum. I think the union is important. I think, as David said, we've had the ability to do things maybe differently in Wales, partly as a result of the economic schemes that have come primarily out of the UK government. 
you know, so the furlough scheme until the end of October, all the economic resilience schemes, all of the funding for that um, has flown from UK government um, to Welsh government and, uh, you know, to a degree enabled Welsh government to take a cautious approach. Um, and, and I don't think that should be forgotten. And, and you know, that's, that's not a slight against what, what the Welsh government are doing. You know, I think David's right. I think the measures that are being taken are, are pretty much similar measures across the board. They're being taken at different speeds. And, and you will agree with that. You'll, you'll disagree with that, depending on your point of view. But, you know, m my view is that we are, we are stronger as a devolved nation as part of the union. In, in a time of crisis, you know, we are able to see that crisis through because we are part of a larger union. And, and you know, so I do think it's really, really important. But I also think it's important that we're able to show that within that union, um, we can come up with policies that represent a Wales that has potentially different priorities to the rest of the UK and to be able to say to voters, you know, we are going to represent you. We, we are not just, you know, sitting here um, as a party of England or a party of Scotland or, you know, we are a party of this union. You know, I, I think that's a strength personally. I, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be the main issue. Um... In, in places like Ceredigion and, and I don't even feel that it would be one of the main issues in Powys or the likes of Pembrokeshire. What, what I think will be one of the main things we should be asking on the doorstep is post-Covid, who do you trust with the economy and, and keep it quite simple and then set out everything that we will do to get the economy, you know, up and going. It's going to, you know, it's not going to be easy, but, um, but that, it, that should be one of the focus points, I think, over and above the strength of, of the union. So, you know, like we said, the polls are looking good, but it does look like the Conservatives will fall slightly short of a majority, even on the best polling. The most likely way it looks like the Conservatives getting into government would be with a, a, a coalition with Plaid Cymru or some sort of deal with Plaid Cymru. Do you think that's desirable for Conservatives? And, and how do you square that? with, as everyone said, the, you know, the, the name of your party, the Conservative and Unionist Party? Well, I think, it, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the Conservatives are going to go out there and talk to, uh, trying to win every vote in every constituency right across Wales. That is what we're campaigning to do, and that's what we are going to do. I think whatever falls out, whatever numbers there are there after the, the final polls have closed and after all the election ballot boxes have been counted, we shall have to see from there. But I think until that time, I don't think we can look at coalitions. I think we've just got to be very positive on the policy platform which will come out in our manifesto and go out there and try and win every seat we can to make sure we get a Conservative government in Cardiff Bay. David, do you think there's any common ground between the Welsh Conservatives and Plaid Cymru that could form the basis of a coalition agreement? Well, you've started this podcast um, asking whether uh, last year's general election result in Wales was uh, a, a one-off. And um, you know, I said, what's happened before can happen again. And in 2007, we nearly got the Rainbow Coalition. We didn't have it in the end because the Liberal Democrats sort of uh, gave up on it uh, halfway through or couldn't make a decision because they didn't have the ability to uh, have a casting vote in their executive committee. Yeah, a little Woodhouseian, but uh, that, that was the, uh, the reason given. Uh, Plaid and the Conservatives came very quickly to a platform and an agreement. And I know because I negotiated it for the Conservatives and uh, my Plaid counterpart was Adam Price. So if it's been done before, it can be done again. What we would have to give 
I think in a, a Tory plied coalition is one very big thing. And that one big, very, you know, one very big thing would uh, be facilitated by the fact that we have a Conservative government in, in, in London. And I think we, we need to think about that. Well, what would be the big thing we could bring to negotiations that would tempt Plaid away from uh, yet more insipid uh, uh, Welsh Labour government? So, uh, I, I, you know, in politics, you've got to come up with strategies and be imaginative and construct new platforms. If you can't do that, you know, eventually you'll get replaced. And, that would happen to Clyde or it could happen to us. You know, if you're always going to be facilitating labor rule at some point, the electorate can work out that they need to change the system pretty radically. And then, uh, you know, all parties uh, will find that uh, support diminishes very quickly. Emma, what do you think the reaction of Conservative members would be if, uh, you know, the Conservative and Unionist party, not just in Wales, I think Conservative members all across the UK, the Conservative party were in a, a coalition with Plaid Cymru Pai who wanted to uh, get Wales out of the UK? Oh, God knows. There'd probably be absolute carnage. Um, I, I don't know, is the honest answer. I've got no idea what the overall view would be. I'm sure some people would be aghast at the idea. Um, I've had these conversations on an individual level with members of Plaid, with fellow Conservative members. Uh, some Conservative members have, have said, well, you just can't square it. You know, it, it just, it, it doesn't fit. You know, you, you cannot have a coalition between a party that is a unionist party and a party whose main platform is, is, is independence. I don't agree with that, um, mainly because as somebody who's worked as a lawyer in the private sector all of my life, I've learned that one of the best things that you can be to get things done is pragmatic. Um, and, you know, I personally, I wouldn't rule out a coalition with anybody. Um, I, I share similar views to a number of Plaid members that I've spoken to. I went to the local Plaid Christmas lunch. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not adverse to, to uh, not literally, but sleeping with the enemy, so to speak. I agree with what David said. I think we have had 21 years of a Welsh Labour government and I'm not going to sit here and just have a slag off Labour moment because I don't think that benefits anybody either. And I think some of what has been done over this past few weeks has, has been really sensible. But I think that to have one party in charge without a change for that length of time is, is not good for democracy at any level, whether it's Wales, Scotland, England. Uh, and I think we need change. And I, I think... If the change that we need could come about by a coalition of Conservative and Plaid, if they could come together and reach a consensus that, that would be acceptable to the majority of, of both of their sets of membership, I think that's something that shouldn't be ruled out by either of them, frankly. The question we'd like to ask of all our panellists at the end of, a, of an episode is, is what are your predictions for next year? But we've learned that people don't like giving a, a, a number. Strangely, that it's almost like they can be played, can be played back to them, and they can be proven to be wrong. <laughs> Amanda, if you had to say what a good night would be for the Welsh Conservatives next year, not what you think won't necessarily happen, but what would be a really good night for the Welsh Conservatives next year? A good night would be obviously increasing our increasing our seats, but having having the a majority seats. Um, but I think it's unrealistic to say that we're going to get an outright majority. But I think we should be 
totally focusing on that. I, I, I personally don't think we should be thinking about coalition and what we would and wouldn't do at the moment. I think our strategy actually should be to just focus, focus, focus voters' minds on what we can do as, as a Conservative uh, Parliament and then, you know, hope for the best. James, what's a good night for the Welsh Conservatives next year? Not having a single Liberal Democrat in the Senate would be a very good start. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll let them know when they're on next week. That's fine. <laughs> I'm sure they'd say the same thing about me. <laughs> no, that's fine. I think a good night for us would be if we were in a position to be able to make a real change for the people of Wales, whether that be on our own or in a coalition, because I think change is needed in Wales and it's needed now more than ever. Or this question around does devolution actually work will keep rolling on and rolling on. And I think a change of government for the people of Wales would be a breath of fresh air. And that's what I think would be a very good night, not just for the Welsh Conservatives, but for the whole people of Wales. I think a good night would be if we could increase the share of the vote significantly, um, because I think that would emphasise that we, we are reaching people. Um, you know, people are listening, people are prepared to vote for us. Um, if that gave us an overall majority, that would be a fantastic night, um, you know, but I think realistically, um, that's probably unlikely to happen. Um, I think if we could increase the number of MSs that we've got across the board, again, to give us a really strong position to, if we had to look at going into coalition, we could do it on some, on some terms that would be great for us and would be great for our voters. I think that would be a good night. David, you know, you've been faced with, I'm sure, a couple of dodgy polls for Labour over the years where it looked like the Conservatives might win or might be in a position to take power. What do you think a good night is for the Welsh Conservatives as we enter our sort of 22nd year of devolution? We're now in much more volatile times. So I think each of the three principal parties has uh, a, a smaller core vote, but possibly... Uh, you know, quite a large potential vote, and then you know, trying to ensure you are uh, nearer your full potential than your core vote is is what's going to really determine this result. I don't think any party will have a majority, and I think for the first time, it is not utterly preposterous for us to aim to be the largest party. Uh, I think that would be outstanding rather than good, probably. Um, but a good result, you know, will be around 20 seats now. And uh, I just think, you know, we shouldn't shy away from that sort of ambition. Uh, well, thank you all so much for, for taking part tonight. That's been a really interesting uh, discussion. Um, if people want to get hold of you on, on Twitter and, and things like that, um, Amanda, what's your handle? What's the best way to get hold of you? Um, on Twitter, I am at uh, C-L-L-R Amanda J, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Emma? Uh, yeah, so mine is, uh, it's at Real Wild, so it's uh, at R-E-A-L-W-I-L-D-E. James? It's yeah. James underscore Evans. I think it's 9-1, and no aggressive tweets, please. <laughs> uh, and David, what's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, well, it's at David Melding MS. Wonderful. And you've updated it to MS. You've done more than even well, Carwin Jones. <laughs> I, I still have a landline, so I chose... <laughs> I, I am on Twitter, mine, so, you know, they're welcome to uh, express their views. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for all of you uh, coming on tonight. If you like what you've heard tonight, uh, you can find out more on our blog, uh, which is at Medium, at Here I Blog Cymru, on our Facebook, at Here I Blog Cymru, and on Twitter, at Here I Blog. Thank you all. 
Thank you for listening to Hiraith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.